This is Desmond Cole on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, yo. Good afternoon. Thank you very, very much for joining the program once again. We've got a good one for you, and I'd like to get right into it this afternoon. Desmond Cole, In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. You've been hearing me talk about the issue of immigration detention on this show, but did you know that on average in Toronto, excuse me, across the country in Canada, there are 242 children every year that are in immigration detention because they and their parents lack status. There's a new report on this issue. I have it in my hands, actually. I was just given a copy by one of its co-authors. It's called No Life for a Child. And that co-author, Hannah Gross, is with me in studio right now to discuss the report. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Hannah, first of all, please explain why you and your colleagues at, uh, I should actually mention that um, Hannah is not only uh, the co-author of this report, but she's also uh, one of the uh, senior fellows at the International Human Rights Program at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law. So please tell me why you and your colleagues thought it was important to write this report about immigration detention of children specifically in Canada? So first of all, uh, we received numbers from Canada Border Services Agency to indicate that in recent years, hundreds of children have been held in detention. And that figure, that 242 uh, children per year, is actually an underestimate because it doesn't capture um, all the children who are detained uh, under, un, who, are, who are living in detention simply to accompany their detained parents. So it only accounts for children who are under formal detention orders. And we review um, mental health evidence to suggest that children have extreme reactions to even brief periods of confinement. Um, and this is actually a follow-up on a previous report that we did uh, last summer. And in that report, we interviewed, uh, we focused on mental health, but we focused on adults who are detained in correctional facilities who are held on immigration detention. And we interviewed um, detainees and former detainees. And one of the themes that came out of those discussions were uh, concerns that um, that their detention was having on their children who were who were not being held with them. And uh, we later on figured out that one of the ways that authorities deal with family separation is, in fact, keeping children in detention with the parents in order to avoid avoid um, that separation. But of course, that has detrimental consequences for their mental health as well. So children are being held, these are like um, medium security facilities with their parents. Can you tell us what the average day is like for a child who's with their parents in one of these immigration detention facilities? Sure. So children are generally held uh, in immigration and immigration holding centers, either in Toronto or Laval. Um, and I should mention first that uh, whether children are under formal detention orders or they're simply accompanying their parents makes no difference. So they're subject to the, to the same conditions. And again, this, these are they resemble medium security prisons. So children are, are subjected to constant surveillance. They're deprived of um, adequate access to education, to uh, recreational facilities, to nutrition. They're essentially deprived of an environment where they can develop um, in a healthy way. There's a really striking uh, excerpt from the report. It's of a mom and child, Kimona and Delano. This is a very young child. I want you to tell us about that specific case. Sure. I, that's one of, of several profiles. Um, 
So in, in this situation, Delano was four years old when we interviewed him. And at that point... Four years old. He was four years old. And um, at that point, he had been detained with his mother for six months. Um, I mean, his mother told us... It, it was a heartbreaking story. Um, his mother told us that uh, he had become angry about everything. His, his mental health was deteriorating. He even came up with an elaborate um, plan to, to bounce out of the, the detention facility using a trampoline. So, I mean, children continue to be children when they're confined within prison walls. They, they continue to, you know, have imaginations and, and, and try to thrive wherever they are. And Delano wasn't even the youngest child who, was, who we profiled. Um, there was another um, infant. Uh, he was two years old at the time of... Uh, the interview, and he was actually born into detention. So he was born in Canada, um, so he's a Canadian citizen, and um, he was held uh, in detention until until he was deported with his mother when he was almost three years old. And his first words were shift change, because clearly that that is a phrase that he uh, was exposed to for, you know, a few times. Um, and he would play search games with other other children because that was what he was exposed to. Hannah Gross is the co-author of a report called No Life for a Child, and she's also a senior fellow at the International Human Rights uh, Program at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law. We're talking about this report. These details are shocking, and you know, I'm sure many of our listeners are hearing this and are very surprised and wonder, how can it be legal to hold children in this kind of detention? Is Canada violating any of our own uh, domestic laws or international laws with this practice of detaining children in immigration detention. Yeah, that's that's one of the findings of our report is that Canada is in violation of international law. And specifically, we're violating uh, the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Uh, the convention requires that um, the best interests of children be a primary consideration in all decisions that affect children. And currently, uh, Canadian law is, is not meeting the standard because it only requires that the best interest of the child is one of several factors to be considered uh, in decisions that affect children. And uh, there are no domestic laws in Canada that prevent us from keeping somebody under a certain age in immigration detention? No. That's, that's quite shocking. Uh, you are working with a lot of your colleagues to try and reform this. I know that you just came back from a trip to Ottawa recently where you were speaking with officials who are responsible for these kinds of things. What are you hearing? We've had, um, over the past several months actually, we've had many fruitful discussions with Canada Border Services Agency. Um, and we're, we're quite encouraged at, that there is a strong willingness to address these issues. Uh, but again, we'd like to push the government further because the issue goes beyond child detention. It's also an issue of separating children from their detained parents. And we have mental health evidence to suggest that children not only have extreme reactions to even brief periods of, of confinement, but also to separating from their parents. Yeah, talk more about that. What are some of the longer term effects? You might, People might be thinking, okay, this doesn't last so long. It's a, it's a temporary thing. But this affects children in the long term, does it not? Absolutely. We've seen, we've seen cases of depression, anxiety, children developing selective mutism. So, for example, they can't speak to adults for a certain period of time. Uh, these are, are highly traumatic experiences, and they, they come to define childhoods. And, and they can, these effects can really last 
for months and they can affect children's academic performance well after they're released. What about the idea of alternatives? Because I know that in some of these cases, it's possible that children can be actually separated from their parents so that they don't have to be in immigration detention. Um, but you guys are critical of this in your report as well, the idea that children shouldn't be with their parents, even though immigration detention is such a horrible situation for them. Absolutely. So w w in our report, we're trying to advocate for um, these twin principles. So children should not be in detention, but they should also not be separated from their parents. And instead, we're advocating for alternatives to detention so that families can live together in the community. And we, we review several um, countries that have implemented very successful alternatives to detention, um, for example, Belgium and Sweden. And, uh, and there's very high compliance rates, uh, and authorities are able to keep track of people in, in the community and, and make sure that they abide by uh, immigration proceedings. But at the same time, we're respecting people's fundamental rights. Any other key recommendations from this report? Yeah, we are also advocating for a change in the law. Um, so again, to elevate the best interests of the child to be a primary consideration, as opposed to just uh, one of several factors to be considered in, de in decisions that affect children. And uh, the great thing about immigration law, though, is that um, there's actually a lot of discretion uh, for these decisions. So we don't have to wait for a legislative change before these these changes can be implemented in practice. Hannah, we're going to continue following this issue as we do on this program, but I want to thank you for taking the time to come in and join us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Hannah Gross of the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law. You are with Desmond Cole, and I didn't do my little intro thing because I really wanted to get right into this interview, but coming up a little later on on today's program, we're going to get into another interesting uh, immigration issue because... Uh, you might have heard that one of our ministers in this country, Miriam Monsef, has been in this really interesting situation lately. She found out some surprising news about her own citizenship background, where she was born. And this is raising a lot of interesting questions. I kind of want to talk about what the liberals are doing on citizenship, which is not exactly what they promised us they were going to do when they were campaigning last year. Also coming up on the show, I was on my way to a ball game this week. And I saw a very troubling incident happening on Spadina Avenue, just very close to the studios here at 260 Richmond Street. And uh, I started filming it. You guys know what I do. I'm a journalist. I take out my camera when I see something interesting. There was a police officer within range of me who didn't appreciate me taking out my camera. I'm going to tell you what he did a little later on in the program when we come back from break. And also today we're going to be talking about who all of you out there who do you confide in when you have a serious problem? When you're stressed out, when you've got a dilemma, who is it that you talk to? Do you talk to a parent, a spouse? Do you talk to a friend? Do you talk to strangers? Do you not talk to anyone at all and just have a drink and cry and go to bed like I do? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm joking, not joking, but I seriously do want to talk about our mental health and what we do when we're having a serious issue, because I think there are a whole lot of us out there who don't have anybody to speak to, and you know you can always speak to me on this program, so the lines will be open for that. It is Desmond Cole. It's In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Desmond Cole, In-Depth Radio. 
News Talk 1010. Oh, yes. You down with D to the C? That's right. In-depth radio, Mike Catherwood on the ones and twos this afternoon. Thank you very much, sir. So I was walking down the street. I was taking the streetcar, let me correct myself, down the street, as one does if one is in downtown Toronto. And I was going to a Blue Jays game, as one does in the city of Toronto when one is gifted tickets, as I was. And so it is not uncommon when I am riding on the street car for me to gaze longingly out the window. And that's what I was doing when I happened to see something that I really wish I had not seen. This was on Tuesday of the week that just passed. So I'm riding southbound um, and I'm just north of Dundas. And I look out the window And on the east side of the street, I can see a man. And this man is young. He is black. And he looks terrified. He's standing and he's got his back up against the window of a storefront. His hands are in the air. And he's surrounded by police officers. Anybody who watches TV, who checks out our videos on News Talk 1010, this is a site that has become all too common for us to see a young black man, or sometimes not a so young black man, surrounded by police, a black woman surrounded by police, black people being accosted by police. I had no clue what was going on except for what I could see. But I wanted to find out. You know, I'm a journalist. I've been writing for several years for publications like the Toronto Star. And when I got out of that streetcar in haste, I didn't think that I was going to be writing a story. I just wanted to see if a black person who seemed like they were terrified was okay. Because that's what I believe in. I think that we should all be doing that, knowing the crisis that we have in policing in North America, knowing the fact that we have this practice of police carding where police are arbitrarily stopping people, especially those who are black. I wanted to find out what was going on. And I can tell you, and I want to tell you, before I go on with this story, that almost no one who saw what was going on on the street stopped to check out what was happening. It was as if it was invisible to them. I think that there's something wrong with that, but I digress. This young man was standing with his hands up, very scared, surrounded by at least six or seven police officers, and more were arriving uh, during the time that I was there and milling about the scene. It was very clear that this young man was being questioned by the police at length and uh, that they were running his name in their computer. I could see this because an officer was going uh, towards his car into the computer and he was asking the young man questions, specifically questions about his address, questions about his middle name. And there was some back and forth as if the police officer was doubting the answers that this young man was giving him about his identity. Um, I heard this man say multiple times, why are you doing this to me? 
Why are you making this about me? I'm the one who called you guys. I'm the one who called you. Why are you treating me like this? So this man had called 911 and the police had showed up and now he was there being questioned and detained and having his name run through a police database. Um, a police officer that was closest to this man bent over and he picked up the man's backpack. He began going through the man's backpack right there on the street for everybody to see. And uh, when he was done that, the officer put the backpack down and without any warning whatsoever, he reached his hands out and began groping around this man's crotch and pocket area, searching him right out in the middle of the street without any warning whatsoever. I want you to imagine that happening to you. You call the police because you have an emergency and you end up standing there surrounded by police in a public street while the police grope your crotch. I was shocked when I saw this. And when I saw the police officer touching this young man, I called out to him and I said, hey, if you don't want this police officer to be touching you right now, you should really let him know that. Tell him that you don't want to be searched. And the reason I said this, of course, is because we always have a right to tell the police that we don't wish to be searched. We always have that right. We always have the right to not talk to the police, to remain silent, as they like to say on the TV shows. We always have those rights, no matter what is going on, unless we are under arrest. And it didn't appear to me that this man was under arrest. So I let him know, you can decide to tell the police, please don't search me. As soon as I said this, the attention of these several officers turned from this young black man who was standing on the street, to me. One of the officers, the one who had been searching him, became quite upset. And he came over and started questioning and interrogating me. And I decided to put my camera phone on on my cell phone because I didn't want whatever was going on to this young man to happen to me. And I figured that filming the interaction would keep me safe. Well, that officer saw me take out my phone and begin filming him. And he proceeded to come over to where I was standing. He had to walk several feet to get over to where I was because I wasn't anywhere close to him. And he reached out and he tried to grab my phone out of my hand. I got it on tape. You know, this frustrated me a lot, and I wrote a story about this in the Toronto Star this week. I didn't talk a whole lot about what happened to me. And the reason I didn't talk about that in the story is because I wanted the focus to be on this young man and the way that the police, the disgraceful way that our police treated a person who called them for help. But I can tell you that I asked police communications to explain why a police officer would come up to a civilian on the street who was filming them and try to take away their personal property in the form of my cell phone. Do you know what police communications said? This is a quote. This is the specific answer that I was given. After it was confirmed that there were no weapons and that the subject was the victim, the officers did not want a video of a victim publicized. 
That's an official answer from the Toronto police about why their officer tried to steal my phone from me. There's something called the, uh, the uh, OIPRD, the Ontario Independent Review of Police Directorate. I will be filing a complaint. And if you're out there listening, don't you ever let the police intimidate you into believing that you don't have the right to film them in public. Because as long as you're not stopping them from doing their job, you absolutely have that right. And I think sometimes you have the responsibility knowing how rogue our police are acting out in these streets. When we come back on the program, we're going to talk about the liberals and a little bit of a, shall we call it, flip-flop? I just like to say hypocrisy on the issue of stripping Canadians of their citizenship, something that the liberals were outraged by when they were running for office and now are doing to the tune of dozens every month. You're with Desmond Cole on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. More with Desmond Cole, In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, yo. So this morning I woke up and it was gray and it was cloudy and there was rain coming down and I thought maybe it was going to be just one of those days. But at 4.32 in the afternoon, things have actually cleared up quite nicely. Now, I'm sorry to say that the forecast tells us it's not going to stay like that. We're in, apparently, for the possibility of a little more rain this evening, going down to about 11 degrees. But not too bad for the beginning of October. I didn't wish you a happy October. I can't believe we're here already, folks, but we are. Um... Desmond Cole with you on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. And the big question on everyone's minds, do we have a birther controversy going on here in Canada? Well, the answer is no. But the kind of um, chief liberal strategist and advisor to the prime minister is trying to pretend that we have a birther controversy going on here. Uh, to distract from the fact that his government is stripping dozens of people of their citizenship every month and deporting them out of the country. What am I talking about? Well, you may have been hearing um, in the last little while about Miriam Monsef. Now, Miriam Monsef is the Minister of Democratic Institutions for the Liberal Federal Government. And um, when Miriam Monsef was uh, elected to that position last year, she made a lot of news uh, because she was billed as being the first um, member of parliament to be elected of Afghani heritage from Afghanistan. Now, Mary Monsef did live in Afghanistan and fled from that country with her family to come to this country. So she's a refugee from Afghanistan. However, the news just came out recently that although Maryam Monsef uh, lived in Afghanistan and claimed on a citizenship application in, with her family that she was born in Afghanistan, she wasn't. Um, close, but not quite. It turns out that Maryam Monsef was born in Iran. Now, that in and of itself is not really a big deal. I mean, the reason that it's not a big deal in the largest sense is that it doesn't really matter where Miriam Monsef was born. She's here. She and her family escaped war safely. And um, that's that. But 
In technical terms, it does matter where Miriam Monsef is born, because technically speaking, if you make an error like that on a citizenship application, even if it was honestly a mistake and you did not mean to deceive anybody, yeah, you're out of here. You can make, uh, you can have your citizenship taken away from you by the government. Now, I know you're saying that's ridiculous. I hope you're saying that's ridiculous because it is, and it really should not matter uh, to your citizenship application. But it does, and it can. You may remember last year that when Justin Trudeau was running for prime minister with the Liberal Party when he was leader, before he was prime minister and still leader, um, he made a really big deal out of this. And he was angry because um, there was a bill called Bill C-24 that the uh, conservatives had passed, which allowed you to take away people's citizenship. And Justin Trudeau was outraged by this, and he kept saying, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And it's a good line. But it turns out that he didn't actually believe what he was saying. Because the liberals promised to remove that law when they came into office. It's been almost a year not only did they not remove the law, not only did they not stop it, they have been deporting dozens of people themselves every month after stripping them of their citizenship. An article in CBC recently informed us of this, and it explained that, you know, the liberals made this promise. The liberals told us that they were going to get rid of C-24, but they've actually set a quota now. And they have a target of 40 to 60 people every month to be stripped of their citizenship. And then when you get stripped of your citizenship, it, it's not like you just go down to the next lowest level of Canadian status. You don't have any status and you are deported. So it's funny how the liberals complained about this. And now they have their own target for stripping Canadians of their citizenship and sending them, in some cases, to countries where they've never lived. So, Gerald Butts, who is the Prime Minister's chief of staff, well, he got upset this week on social media, on the Twitter. And Gerald Butts was mad because the Globe and Mail wrote an editorial about Miriam Monsef talking about her citizenship status and whether or not she was being honest about not knowing that she was born in Iran instead of Afghanistan. And he called it a birther controversy. Look at this crazy fake birther controversy that we have going on in our country, said Gerald Butts. So he doesn't like the idea that people are questioning whether or not Maryam Monsef was honest about where she was born. But let's be honest, guys. Is the government of Canada going to start a deportation process for somebody who's a federal cabinet minister because she may not have been truthful or even if she was truthful, made an error on her application to become a citizen of this country? Are they going to take away the minister's citizenship and send her to Iran? No, of course they're not going to do that because she's high profile and she's a government official and she's protected and everybody knows who she is and she's one of them. She's one of the good guys. So, of course, the government is not going to do that to one of their own people. They only do that to people who are not their people. 
So 40 to 60 people a month are being stripped of their citizenship in this country after the liberal government told us that they were appalled by the practice and were going to stop it. And I'm sorry, Gerald Butts, the only reason that you're talking about birtherism and throwing your hands up on Twitter is to distract from the fact that while you might not want this to happen to Miriam Monsef, it's never going to happen to her. But meanwhile, your government and Prime Minister Trudeau are doing this to people who are citizens of this country after you promised us that you would change. It's been almost a year now that the Liberals were elected. And when it comes to these so-called national security issues, we're seeing absolutely no difference between the Liberal Party of Canada and the Conservative Party of Canada. The only difference is in the rhetoric when they're campaigning. The Liberals and Conservatives both agree on Bill C-51, which can strip you of all of your rights and send you to jail, not because you were charged with a terrorism crime, like you were plotting something. Basically, C-51 allows people now to be arrested under fear of terrorism. The Conservatives started it. The Liberals have continued it. No change whatsoever. When it comes to this issue of C-24, the Conservatives started it. The Liberals complained about it. And now they're keeping it going and sending their own targets for how many people they can strip of their citizenship. We talked about three men who were tortured overseas, all of them Canadian citizens. When the Liberal Party was in opposition and they found out about this, they said three Canadians tortured overseas. The government must give those men an apology and the government must compensate those men financially for the hardships that they went through. That was what the Liberal government was arguing when they were in opposition. Now that the Liberal government is in power, they have not only switched their opinion about compensating and apologizing to those three men, they're actually fighting them in court and fighting to make sure that the officials that helped them get tortured overseas can remain anonymous. Yo, we see what you guys are doing, federal liberals. And the more things change, I'm sorry to say, the more that they stay the same. When we come back on In-Depth Radio, I want to talk to you about who you talk to when times get tough. You're with Desmond Cole on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. More with Desmond Cole, In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back. You know, if you ever miss an episode of this program or want to hear one again, just head to Newstalk1010.com, click on the tab that says Shows, and find my name, you can download a podcast of every single episode of this program. Go to it. Um, <laughs> I came off the train last night from being out of town, and I walked. I decided I was going to get out at Union Station, and it was a very uh, kind of warm and misty night. It wasn't really raining, but it was comfortable, and I wasn't carrying much, and I decided to just like take a little stroll and um, walked up York Street from Front Street here in downtown Toronto, uh, got about as far as Wellington and thought something is going on. Who are all these people? Why is there so much vomit on the ground? And then I remembered that it was Nuit Blanche, so there you have it. Um, did you go to Nuit Blanche last night by any chance, listeners? Uh, the all-night art thing. Uh, it's not necessarily, I don't think, 
lived up in recent years to some of the um, at least artistic potential that a lot of people may have hoped when Nuit Blanche started several years ago, but it sure as heck is still popular. And, you know, as I got up to about Queen Street, I could see that um, most of Queen Street um, was blocked off. They were letting people go through University Avenue, uh, but Queen itself was blocked off and just full of human beings walking, taking in the sights. And I think if nothing else, we can say about Nuit Blanche that it shows that there's a huge desire in this city for people who just want to get out there and walk around and see and be seen, and that they don't really get opportunities to do that the way that they could because you you walk in the streets. Well, you don't really walk in the streets, and that's kind of the point, is that you walk on the sidewalks. Most of the space in our downtown core and elsewhere in the city of Toronto that you can move around in is devoted to anyone who's in a car. And it's just a completely different feeling and atmosphere when you can walk around in the middle of the road and you can stretch out and there's people space. So I will say that for Nuit Blanche. It does expose our love in the city for being out in the street on foot. And I think we should have more of that. I want to talk to you right now at 416-872-1010. You can call me. You can also text the show at 71010. Or you can write me a message on the Twitter, where I am located. My handle is at Desmond Cole, of course. And I want to talk to you because uh, this is a talk radio station, and I like talking. Duh. You must know that by now. But specifically, um, I want to ask you about who you talk to when things get tough for you, when you're having a problem, when you're having a dilemma in your life, when something goes wrong, you're not feeling good about something, who do you speak with? Do you have anybody that you speak with? You know, I like to talk to you guys sometimes about the texts that I get on this program when I'm here in the chair at 71010. And, you know, I'm never... Uh, I'm never bashful to say that I get a lot of hate messages. I get a lot of people, even today, um, sending me messages of anger and hatred and intimidation. Um, and it's unfortunate that that happens. And a lot of you out there, I guess, are saying that I need help. Well, the good news for you is that I'm actually seeking some, because I think that it is time that I did start talking to somebody on a professional capacity. But I know that that's a very taboo subject in our society, not one that we are very open about uh, on a regular basis, but it's something that I need personally. And maybe it's something that you need, but maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you're afraid to admit that you would like to speak to somebody in that capacity. Maybe you can't afford it because here's the thing. I started looking into talking to therapists and the like. Um, and there's different forms of assistance that you can get there. It's just straight up therapists that have different specialties. There's psychologists, there's psychiatrists who can prescribe medication for people. And these are all different options that people have. It can be very expensive, but there are also, for those of us who don't have huge loads of cash, um, there are options through OHIP. It may take a little longer. Um, but you do have options out there through your health coverage that you can go and, and see somebody and speak to. 
And I know that some people, when they're stressed, they have a partner or a spouse that they speak to. Some of us have friends that we uh, will confide in with things that are bothering us or that things that we just need to get off our back. Um, but I know some of us don't talk at all. And I'm starting to recognize in my own life that that's not healthy. You know, I, I come here for every week uh, for an hour and I sit and I yak on this radio station. And I pr believe me, that can be a form of therapy too. A lot of us who sit in this chair, we do this and we get out a lot of things that are bothering us. But, but you know, we're doing it in public. This is a performance. What about when the microphone goes off? Who do you talk to when you have an issue in your life? Do you talk at all? 416-872-1010. Text the show at 71010. Send me a message on Twitter at Desmond Cole. Mark from Woodbridge has called into the program. And if I figure out how to use my technology, oh gosh, that would have been horrible. I almost hung up on you. But Mark, you're here. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you today? I'm really glad you called. So tell me, who do you talk to when you have an issue? I actually, uh, since I was a teenager, and I've always gone to my father. He's a retired school teacher. And when I was young, he was always so calm. And I saw it as a weakness because I always dealt with things with my fists. And he always turned the other cheek and, you know, told me to pick which battles and which hill you want to die on kind of thing. And as I grew older and as I got older and became a parent, I realized this is the strongest guy I've ever met because he's not uh, ruled by his emotions, you know. So he's taught me a lot and made me everything I am today. And we talk as best friends or as father and son. And he's, I don't know what I'd do without him, you know. Mark, that's beautiful. I'm really glad you called in to share that. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great day. You're doing a great job, and I love listening to you, and so do all our guys on our construction site. Much respect, brother. Take care. Take care. 416-872-1010. I hope you can see from that last call that it, it feels good to talk. It even feels good to hear other people's stories talking about how they talk, how they get things out, how they work through issues. And, you know, I think that this is actually quite important specifically for us as men to talk about. Because when I talk about people who don't talk, who keep things inside, I think that that's something we do as men. And, I, and, and our last caller just alluded to that beautifully. But he found somebody that he could confide in and has built that relationship. Who do you talk to? Tim in Oakville. Hi, Tim. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny that you're actually talking about this. I was kind of just thinking about it by myself. Um, and I would like to be, I guess I'm somebody who has a good support system, my girlfriend, my family, you know, close friends I've grown up with, but it's just, I guess, a difficulty actually bringing that whole conversation of everything out into the open, I guess. So do you have anyone specifically that, you know, when things are going rough that you can confide in? Uh, I mean, I'd like to say I do, but I feel as though it's a very surface level conversation rather than kind of delving down deeper into what's the issue, so to say. Now, like, it's not because people aren't there to support me. It's just the aspect of having the conversation, I think, is just a bit difficult. No doubt. Well, I mean, it's a difficult thing to call into a, a radio show and to talk about those kind of things, Tim, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, cheers. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're kind of at least providing some kind of a venue for people to have a conversation about this. Respect, man. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Cheers. 416-872-1010. Man, I am... So glad that we did this topic. Let's try to get in one more. And it's Sweta from Toronto. I think you're going to get the last word here. Hello. Hello, Sweta? Yes? 
You are going to be our last caller. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Real good, thank you. So we have just about a minute, but tell us, when you need to talk to somebody, who do you turn to? Um, I have two people in my life that I get advice from. Um, it's my dad and also one of my friends. So here's the thing. My dad would always tell me what's in my best interest, what I should do, and what my results going to be in the long term and have the respect in the society, whether it's to do with um, my personal life or my professional life. And here's my friend's uh, perspective. He would always tell me what would make me happy and do what makes me happy. It could be completely, totally wrong that I would ever want to do, but he always said, believe in yourself. Yes, talk to me about um, what my issues are, but it's, it, it, totally different um, advice than um, what my dad would say. Well, Swetha, I got to take it uh, to the road here, but I want to thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you. I love your show. I love you for calling. Have a great one. And listen, I love Tony Tedesco. He's the producer of this program, and I want to thank him. Mike Catherwood on the ones and twos, making me and the callers and everything and everyone sound wonderful. I love you for listening and for letting me talk. I will be back with you in seven days. Until that time, my name is Desmond Cole. Keep it locked here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010.